So, if you're on Zoom, I suppose it's a bit like watching Gogglebox. I was challenged last night, I'd got to get Gogglebox into my preach somehow, so I thought I'd get it out of the way. Um, I've never watched Gogglebox, I have no idea what it is, so if it's rude, I'm really sorry. <laughs> but I'm assured by the Christians that told me about it, it's supposed to be good, so it's their conscience, not mine, okay. And it was the Dowlers, just to make sure that, that everybody knows who it was. Okay, so we've been working through our statement of faith, okay? And um, Samuel's been doing a great job this morning, and he'll continue to do a great job. Um, he's, he's missing out on going to Explorers and all the fun, because he's doing the projection this morning. So, um, bless him. So that's good. No. No. Because I'm old, fat, boring. That's why. So um, we are working our way through the, this, the vision statement, and we have come to this statement that's on the screen about what we believe about Jesus. And it says this in our vision statement, He rose from the dead and in His resurrection body ascended into heaven where He is exalted as Lord of all, okay? And some of you will be sitting there thinking, but it's not Easter, why are we talking about the resurrection? It's about like, a bit like talking about Christmas, birth of Jesus in August. Why are we doing that? Well, the point is the resurrection isn't just about one day that takes place in the middle of this year, in the middle of April. The resurrection is a core, essential part of the gospel and it's efficiency and effectiveness in our lives. And we're going to focus only, this morning, in a fun way. <laughs> he rose from the dead. So that in, in, up there on red, that's all we're going to focus on this morning. And there's a lot to say, there's a little time to say it in, and I can't possibly do justice in one morning to those five little words. But before I start talking, somebody could hit the lights, we're going to just watch a video, a video clip. And rather than me stand here reading out the words, I thought you might want to watch the words. Is that okay? John chapter 19, verses 38, to John chapter 20, verse 18. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was so close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. 
So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Then she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So, that's uh, an extract from the Gospel of John, um, and uh, it's a familiar story of what happens when uh, Jesus is raised from the dead and the disciples go for the first time and they find an empty tomb. So, we're gonna, we are going to read a bit of scripture. We're going to read Acts chapter 2. This is about 50 days afterwards. And the disciples are in, a, in an upper room. The Holy Spirit comes. They're, they go outside. They're speaking in other tongues. There's all sorts of stuff going on. And Peter preaches, as you know, this amazing preach, which is uh, in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you know yourselves. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. He loosed the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and he's quoting here from Acts, uh, sorry, Psalm 16. We'll come back to that in a minute. But David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he was at his right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. 
You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both, was di- uh, he both died and was buried. David is the guy that wrote that psalm. And his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses. So just going back a little bit, we spent some time, we spent a lot of time actually, uh, singing and preaching about the death of Jesus. And it's right we do that, because it's a really, really, really important thing. Okay? And we spend a lot of time talking about it. Um, even the last few weeks, we've talked about uh, propitiation and sacrifice and substitution. And the cross of Christ and his death has so many different facets that we could spend weeks and weeks and years and years just talking about the death of Christ. And that's really, really important. Really important. But we don't spend a lot of time talking about the resurrection. In fact, not very often, and as I said earlier, only at Easter. But the truth is, and I'm, I mean, you may think you might, you might want to take me out, outside and stone me a minute, but the truth is, the death of Jesus without the resurrection is pointless. Utterly and totally pointless. See, without resurrection, Jesus is just a prophet, speaking on behalf of God, dying for a good cause. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just a good man who misunderstood his mission in life and ended up on a cross. Jesus is just a really, really good teacher, moral teacher, who crossed some bad men and died because he said some things they didn't like. Or, Jesus is just a man who had some principles and he wouldn't give them up and he died because of it. Without the resurrection, the cross and the death of Jesus is meaningless. And I'm going to explore this morning why that's the case. Even the disciples, even the disciples missed the point of the cross. Two of his friends were on, a ro- on, a, on, a, on, on the way home, sad, disappointed, saying, we had thought Jesus was just another political leader who'd come and gone, as they did virtually every week at that time. Even the disciples missed the point. And yet, when we read the rest of the New Testament, if you are careful about exploring the New Testament, you will find that virtually every page, or certainly every chapter, has something about the resurrection in it. It's all the way through. It's like a stick of rock. You know, you cut a stick of rock in half. It says Blackpool all the way, or whatever it is, all the way through the middle. If you, if you cut the New Testament in half and look through it, resurrection, death and resurrection... The two things go hand in hand all the way through, like two giant themes that go all the way through it. 
And for Paul, it was the turning point of history. So let's explore some reasons why that's the case. Well, first of all, the resurrection shows of, of Jesus shows God's ultimate power over everything he had made. To believe in the resurrection is to believe in God himself. That's really important. We as Christians find it quite embarrassing to talk about resurrection because actually we can't prove it. It's scientifically not possible. And therefore, in our scientific Western minds, we kind of, we don't want to talk about it too much because it becomes an obstacle to people who don't yet believe in Jesus because, wow, that's, that's a massive thing to believe in a resurrection of a man who was totally dead. Far better to believe that he was asleep on a cross or he kind of fainted and, and, and somehow kind of, kind of, found life again and came back, came that, back that way. Because ultimately the resurrection is about God's ultimate power over everything he's made. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Have I missed? No? I think I'm all right. I think we're... Can you go back a few slides, Samuel? Is that all right? We're in slide six. I'm not going to read a lot of these scriptures because otherwise we'll be here all this morning. God creates everything. Things go wrong in the Garden of Eden, as we know, and death enters the world. And every single person, I will guarantee, I'm going to prophesy into your life, at some point over the next few years, you're going to die. Sorry. Some of us, it will be longer further away, and some of us it will be shorter. It's guaranteed death entered the world for everybody. And then Jesus comes along. Jesus raises people from the dead. Lazarus, showing his power. He is God. Shows that he's the son of God, raising people from the dead. But that's temporary. Lazarus is not alive. You can't go to Lazarus and say, excuse me, Lazarus, what was it like to come out of a grave and everything else? He died again. It wasn't a guarantee forever. But there is one man who dies and is raised from the dead and he lives forever. And it's Jesus because God broke the power of death in his life. It's amazing. Secondly, it validates Jesus' claim that he was the Son of God. If you'll read Matthew 16, verse 1 to 4, you'll find information there about that. Psalm 2, he quotes himself. He says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus clearly saw himself as the Son of God. And the resurrection validates his claim that he was God himself. It shows, it proves that what he said about himself was true. You don't believe in the resurrection? I have a question for you. Why do you believe the rest of what Jesus says? Thirdly, Jesus prophesies. He says, one day the temple's going to be pulled down, and three days later it's going to be built back up again. 
impossible. The temple was massive. It took several years for them to build it. He wasn't talking about a physical building. He's talking about this building, this temple. Now, I know it's a bit of a surprise for you, but this body is a temple. It worships food and other things. Okay, but this body, your body, is a temple. Jesus says that one day, in the not too distant futures, this temple, he says about his own body, will be pulled down, and in three days, it will be built back up again. That's in Mark 8. You can read it more about it in Matthew 26. Fourthly, it validates the prophecy in Psalm 16, which we just read, that his body would not know corruption. In other words, when we die, we know that this body starts to rot, and go to rotten ruin. Okay, and it disintegrates and disappears, and the worms eat it, and Ilkin Morbatat is a really great song. But it says about Jesus in, in Psalm 16 that his body would not know any corruption, it would not rot and ruin. Death itself would not be able to claim his body. This reflects on Jesus' sinless nature. Because death holds us in its grip forever. But in Jesus, because he was sinless, there's no corruption whatsoever. Death could not hold him. And here is the point, one of the major points is that when Jesus dies on the cross, it says, we've talked about it, sorry if I'm going to go over some old ground, I can't stop myself, I'm sorry. This is just such, these things are so exciting. I hope you go home and feed on truth. Go and watch the YouTube stuff of things we've preached over the last few weeks and feed on it because it's true. I was, remember a few weeks ago we were talking about, I was a child of wrath, I'm now a child of grace. I was an enemy to God, and now I'm a friend of God. But the main point of this one was, I was full of sin. My attitudes, my habits, my words, my actions, everything was motivated by sin. Everything. I was, everything I did came out not out of purity, but it came out of a motivation of sin, of some sort. I, it wasn't that I, I, I did a sin and then became a sinner. No, 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 no. I was a sinner, and therefore I did sin. This is not a child who is born perfect and then does something wrong and therefore becomes a sinner. No, each child, including me and including you, are born sinners full of sin. And when death gets hold of me, it will find all that stuff and it will hold me in its grip. But when Jesus dies, when Jesus dies, death examines him. The Bible talks about it. 
It examines him inch by inch by inch. All his thoughts. Now you think, you know, I'm 60, so all those thoughts, that's a long time for me. All those thoughts examines every single thought that Jesus had and found nothing that was sinful. It examines all his attitudes and he examines every single one bit by bit by bit and finds nothing that's sinful. Death examines every single action that Jesus took And don't forget, Jesus mixed in some really unusual places with prostitutes and and what the Bible calls sinners. People who were the scum of the earth. And it examines every single action that Jesus does and finds absolutely nothing wrong, ever. And his words. Gosh, even if you examine my words from this week, death would hold me in its grip. And his motivation. Why do I do the things I do? Mostly because I want to make myself look good. Jesus did everything he did. Said everything he did because he wanted to bring glory to the Father. And death examines everything and finds nothing wrong and cannot hold him. No sin means resurrection. It's amazing. And then finally, in this little section, it validates his death on a cross. So everything that Jesus does on the cross is validated because he's burst out of death and been resurrected to life by God the Father. Everything. His sacrifice is not complete until the resurrection. In the sense of, it validates. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying is, is death is not complete. I'm just, what I'm saying is, it's validated. True. By his resurrection. What it shows is, that the sacrifice that Jesus made is completely and utterly acceptable to God the Father in every single dimension, in every way. So there's nothing that Jesus does on the cross that God goes, oh, I wish you'd done that slightly better. Oh, I think if you could have... No, no, no. The sacrifice is acceptable to God. God examines Jesus. Not just death, but God examines Jesus and finds the sacrifice acceptable. And therefore, God raises him from the dead. We need, brothers and sisters, we need to start talking about the resurrection more than we do. We need to sing about it more. We need to enjoy it more. We need to understand its full, full meaning because without it, everything else is a bit pointless. So, how is that important to us now as Christians? Well, without the resurrection, there's no saviour. 
Without the resurrection, there's no salvation. Without the resurrection, there's no hope. Without the resurrection, there's no eternal life. There's nothing. What we might as well do without the resurrection is get the chessboards out and the bridge tables out and we might as well have a jolly time together. As Paul puts it, because otherwise we're just like men who are really, really miserable. We might as well have a party. Because the resurrection is the most critical part of our salvation as Christians. It's as central to our walk with God and our salvation as the cross is. It's really, really, really important. And if you find it embarrassing to think about, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, we need to go back and examine what the, Old, the New Testament says. Secondly, it's really, really important because Jesus ascends into heaven and he sends us his Holy Spirit to live out our daily lives. John 14. If you read that section there, it says, I'm going to go to the Father. We're going to talk about ascension later, so I'm not going to deal with it in, in depth. But I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So we live our daily lives as Christians because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And my next point ties into this because it says the same power that God raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in in me, just me, in you. Wow. You think about what power it would take Jesus to uh, sorry, God to raise Jesus from the dead, stone cold. The power that takes it takes to do that. The, the whole thing of examining Jesus to find his perfect sacrifice, that same power now lives in you. The spirits in our lives. It's not that we've got a kind of orange squash diluted version of the Holy Spirit. No. We've got the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me. That means I can live my life as a Christian the way that God intends me to do it. And then he says, um, it's not just that, but it, it, it gives life to this mortal body right now. Right now. It's not a future thing. I used to interpret that, that verse as the same power that Rest rise from the dead will one day raise me from the dead and live an immortal life, eternal life. But that's not what it says. It says it's for now. Okay? You get it. You're getting the message. So when I'm tempted, and when I'm, my attitudes are wrong, when I get confronted by my sin, I can go to the God the Father through Jesus the Son in the power of His Holy Spirit and claim forgiveness and repentance and purity. It's amazing. Because one day, because I now have God the Holy Spirit living in me, one day, He will raise this body to life eternal. 
we need to live in the now of what God's doing for us, not worry too much about the future of what he's going to do. Because it's the same spirit. I, I want to say that all again because it's just, it amazes me. It absolutely amazes me that God would in his grace and mercy give me the same Holy Spirit as he gave his son. Next. We now have the promise of eternal life. I'm going to read, I'm going to read a little bit of John. Can I get there? John 11, verse 24. He's talking about, he's talking to a, a lady. Um, well, actually, it's the story of Lazarus. And Lazarus has been in the tomb now for several days. Jesus has not turned up at the right time because he was having a prayer meeting, okay, which is quite interesting in itself. And Mary and Martha are really, really upset, as you can imagine. And Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Well, that's a fair statement. Jesus didn't turn up at the right time, apparently, according to her. But even now, she says, even now, now we've put him in the tomb, now we've put oils on him, now he's all wrapped up. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha says to him, I know that you'll rise again in the resurrection. So she's done what I do. She's put it off to another time. Later on. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, thank you, Jesus. I know that Lazarus is going to be resurrected from the dead. Um, it's going to be in the future. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks this killer question. The question is, do you believe this? That's what Jesus says to her. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe me? And it's the same question that God's got for us this morning. Do you believe it? Fifth. We have the promise that now we'll have resurrection because Jesus was the first fruit. In other words, he was the down payment. In other words, um, Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead by this way, by Jesus. This is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20. And because we're in him, we will be raised from the dead as well. Let's go back to some of the stuff we've done before. We're in him. So Paul says, see, we, we come from the wrong end of the telescope. We start with, we start with this. Well, now I'm a Christian, I'm in Christ. And therefore, all these other things are true. What Paul says is, before the foundation of the earth, you were in Christ. God looked down through the ages, and he got to 2022, and he said, that person, let's choose somebody, anybody, Tom. Tom is in Christ from before the foundation of the earth. 
And then Paul takes it next stage forward and he says, when Jesus dies on the cross, Tom is in Christ. Acts 6. Uh, sorry, Romans 6. And then, not only that, but when Jesus is raised from the dead, Tom is in Christ. So that when the resurrection of the dead comes, Tom is in Christ. Now, put your name in that place. Because it's true for you, if you believe in Jesus. It's not just a cross thing. We're in him. Paul says, as we get baptized, and water baptism is so important. So important. Because it says, when we go into the water, we're in Christ. And when we come out of the water, we're raised together in Christ. If you've not been baptized, please let me urge you, go and do it. Get it done quickly. Come and pester the elders to get it done now. Because it's so important. Finally, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 25, uh, sorry, one, big one, 1 Corinthians 15, and his great chapter on being raised from the dead, it's amazing. We haven't got time to go through it. But when he gets to the end of it, well, we will go from verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on um, immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? It says this, The sting of death is sin. We just talked about it. That's what the sting of death is. Sin itself. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. In other words... Because we have such a hope that one day we are going to be raised from the dead, that death has lost its victory, it no longer has its reign over us, because one day Jesus will return and we will be transformed to be like him and we will ascend into heaven, that's what the Bible says, and we will be like him. Okay, because of all those things, thanks be to God, he gives us victory, therefore, Knowing that your labor is not in vain. His resurrection doesn't mean that I can sit back and go, oh, and scratch my string vest like Alex Sale and just go, oh, thank goodness I'm, I mean, I've, I've got eternal life. That's brilliant. I can sit back and relax now. No, no, no. Paul says, therefore, know that your labor, in other words, get serving, serve the kingdom, do the stuff. Get out there and do it because your labor is not in vain. His resurrection and our resurrection is a spur to us to serve Jesus more and more and more. Does, do you get that? We're going to break bread. Okay, and um, we're going to break bread together with stuffs at the back there. Um, if you're not a Christian, 
but would like to become a Christian and pray, talk to somebody, and then go and break bread. If you're from another church and you love Jesus, we want you to share Jesus with us. If you're not yet a believer and you, you're not sure about it, just, that's fine. This is a feast, love feast, for people who love Jesus. Breaking bread is an expression of our dependency on the cross. But equally, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, it's an expression of our hope that Jesus is going to return. And Jesus can only return because of his resurrection and ascension. We as Christians so often go to that table with glum faces and familiarity which breeds contempt. We go there and it has little discernible little discernible change in our life as a result. But what I want you to do this morning with your families, I want you to go and break bread with joy because one day he's going to return. It's a symbol that I am secure in Christ forever. It's a symbol of his death and resurrection is valid for me right now. It's a reflection of his resurrection power and his Holy Spirit which lives in you right now. Please, if you've got things you need to sort out with others, go and sort it out. If you've got baggage that you are carrying, listen, come to the table, put it down. Give it to Jesus. And then enjoy his resurrection power in your life. This morning, we can do business with God in a glum way, but we can also do business with God in a really, really, really exciting, fun way. Go and break bread with other people. Go and take it to others in the church. If the musicians are going to go, we're not asking the musicians to come back right now, they're going to go and break bread too. And then... When they're ready, they'll come back up and we will worship again. But I want you to know Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is raised from the dead. And the same power that raised him from the dead dwells in you. Let's pray. Let's go and break bread. Let's enjoy each other's company. And then let's worship again. Father, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that your plan of salvation didn't just include a death on a cross, but it included a resurrection from the dead. We want to thank you that you have made all things possible because of your mighty, mighty power. We want to thank you that that, that promise wasn't just for the people at the time, it's for us right now, that we can know the power of your resurrection in our lives. And we want to thank you, Lord Jesus. One day you will return and one day we will see you face to face and then we'll be like you because we see you. We want to thank you, Father, that despite our stupidity, 
despite our sin, despite our attitudes and our thoughts and our words and our actions, you love us, you loved us to death. You loved us and you still love us and you still welcome us into your presence through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.